Okay, I'm going to preach today for the next uh, 25 minutes or so, and I'm believing God's going to speak to us as I do. And I want to begin by telling you a little bit about what happened a week or so ago. We were away on holiday as a family, and one morning we went for a walk. We'd, um, we took our dog out, dog out for a walk uh, in some woods near where my uh, in-laws live. And as we were walking through these woods, right on the edge of these woods, there was a small kind of old, quaint church building. It was one of those kind of buildings which, you know, was beautiful to look at, but basically it's on the edge of these woods. Probably years and years before, it had been surrounded by houses, maybe right in the middle of a community, but now it was tucked away and hidden right on the edge of these woods. Pretty much the only people who would know it was there were maybe people who'd lived in that area for years and years, or people who walked their dogs in the, in the woods And it's the kind of place that unless you already know it's there, you're probably not going to stumble across it. And as we walked past this little beautiful old church, I felt God sort of whisper to me. Now, that doesn't happen to me every day, but as I walked past this building, I felt God speak to me. And this is what I felt God say to me. I felt God say to me, the church should exist to bring hope. The church should exist to bring hope to a land where there is often disappointment or darkness, where sometimes there's pain and struggle, sometimes when there seems no other solution, the church should exist to bring hope. In other words, the community should be a significantly more hopeful place because the church is present right in the middle. And because of that, the church should never be hidden. The church shouldn't be surrounded by trees. The church should be surrounded by people. Now, for some of you who know me, you'll know that I didn't grow up in the city. I've lived in London for 23 years now, so nearly all of my life. Okay, I'm just waiting. Okay, okay. All of my kids have been born in London, born in Lewisham, growing up here. Apparently, I still don't qualify as a Londoner, though. I don't know how that works, but apparently. But one of the great privileges of the city is that you get to live out your faith and the church gets to live out being the church literally surrounded by tens and hundreds of thousands of people. John Wimber, who was the founding father of the Vineyard Movement, once said, Jesus didn't die for clean air. Now, in other words, the gospel is here to reach into even the most challenging situations. That can be out in the country but definitely in the cities. And if you, you know, it's interesting, I, one of my jobs in the church is I plan what we do over Christmas, and we're already in a team meeting talking about what we're going to do. But you look right at the beginning of Jesus' story, right at the start of Jesus coming, you see, even at the start, Jesus is born in the most dark, desperate scenario. He's born to a people who are under military occupation, born into a, a room adjoining a house, a barn where animals might sleep, to a family who go on the run, who become refugees, and he's hunted by the authorities right from the beginning. Jesus comes, is born intentionally into the darkest, most difficult scenario because Jesus' mission, and our mission, but his mission definitely, was always to invade darkness with light. Always, if you like, to liberate slavery with freedom. Always to invade despair with hope. And right at the start of, if you like, this kind of 
time together, if you, if you like, I want to remind you why we are here, why the church exists, why we do a site in Lee. And I want to remind you with these words. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give, it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says this, you are to be salt and you're to be light. In other words, you are to be salt. In other words, you are to help preserve in a culture of decay. And you are to bring light fundamentally into a culture where there is darkness. That's what the church is here to be. You only have to watch the news this week, and obviously we prayed into it earlier, to see that we live in a culture, in a world where there is decay and there is darkness. And Jesus says, into this world, you and I, individually and corporately as a church, are to be salt where there is decay and light where there is darkness. And interestingly, when he says this in Matthew 5, he's talking about fundamentally who we are, not just what we do. This is who you are. It's not that we don't do these things. In fact, he says, let your good deeds shine. Be a light that shines. But it's to be who we are. Now, I could say to you, okay, we're finished now. You can go. So go and be a light. Bring hope to the people around you. But the challenge with that is this. Really, for you and I to share hope, to bring light, we have to carry hope ourselves. For the church to spread hope, the church needs to be full of hope. For you and I to be hope bringers, we need to be hope carriers. Jesus says elsewhere, he says, now freely you have received, freely give. Okay, and I think you can apply that into all sorts of different aspects. Freely you've received, now freely give. What Jesus is saying is the prerequisite to sharing and giving is receiving. You cannot spread hope unless you have received hope yourself. Now, we all need hope. Like, if you're a human being, which I assume we all are, all of us are addicts to hope. It's part of the way we're made. Hope is that quality that helps you get through whatever situation you faced. You get through because you have your hope that something beyond this will be good or it will work out. If you're a runner, you endure the race in the hope that you're going to be able to finish, right? Amen. If you're a parent of toddlers, you get through that moment between four in the afternoon and six o'clock tea time, which in our family used to be called the arsenic hour, where you either want to give it or you want to take it. Okay, you get through that in the hope that They will go to bed sooner or later and you can sit down for the first time in your entire day. We endure the treatment in the hope that it will bring a cure. So everybody needs and wants hope. We all want hope. But for some of us particularly, hope is not just a good thing, it's a really scary thing. Hope is dangerous. Because sometimes we hope for things which don't happen 
and we end up very disappointed. One of the, uh, I think, greatest films ever made is a film called The Shawshank Redemption. Now, I'm sorry if you've never seen this film before, because I am going to ruin this a little bit for you. And you might want to, during the clip, go, okay, I understand, but you won't understand the rest of the preach. No, you can do that if you really have never seen this. But the theme of hope runs right through this film. And in the film, there's there's a lot of characters, but two particular characters. One called Andy, and one is called Red. And they both have a different approach to the issue of hope. Red has learned this, that the way to avoid disappointment is basically to have no hope. If he doesn't hope for anything, he won't end up disappointed and in pain. But Andy argues that you have to have hope, otherwise you start to die. You've never seen that film. That film is set in a prison, and Red is right in one sense. The danger with hope is that we can get hurt. It's a dangerous thing. We get disappointed, but without hope... We start to die. In fact, probably without hope, at best, we survive. And I believe God wants you to live. God wants you alive. And as I just prepared today, I just felt God wanted to speak to us that for many of us, God wants you to receive a sense of hope today. See, the gospel deals with both disappointment and hope all in one. In one sense, you see, the gospel is in the backdrop of the gospel is the story of universal disappointment and despair. Genesis and the story of the fall and sin coming into the world is a story of loss, of a story of things being thrown away, of the possibility of all that life could have been never coming to pass. That's the beginning of the story in Genesis. And we can relate to that beginning because some of that echoes into our own lives sometimes. Things that could have been, things that we felt we threw away, opportunities that we missed, people that we wanted to grow into being that we never have done yet. And so we carry sometimes that sense of disappointment. And the world, by the way, knows it as well, which is why self-help books, which seem to offer so many possibilities of who you could become, or shopping channels that seem to sell you products will change your life, sell so well. Because the world carries a sense of disappointment, that things are not as they should be. The problem with the product, or the philosophy, or even sometimes in churches, the theology that offers you something that they can never deliver, in the end it leaves you more cynical, more disappointed than you were at the start. The gospel, if you like, is set against the backdrop of disappointment, But the gospel is not a message of despair. The gospel is a message of inextinguishable hope. Why? And this is the critical thing. You see, the world teaches us to hope for something. Maybe when I have that. Maybe when I get there. But the gospel is the story of hoping in someone. Not for something. See, we can spend our lives, can't we, hoping for something in the career, in the health, in my friends, in that role in the church, in my family, but sooner or later all these things, even if they're good things, will be tinged with some kind of disappointment because none of these things were designed to carry the ultimate weight of all our hopes and desires. Let me read you a quick passage from Romans 8. This is what Paul writes about it. He says this, for the creation was subjected to frustration, 
not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What is that saying? What it's saying is this. Paul is saying that God has set up the world in such a way that at times God has subjected it to frustration. In other words, when we look, God knew that we would look for all sorts of different things to give us hope and give us the things we really want other than him. And it's loaded with frustration. It's already, God has made them by design something that won't deliver what you're after. If you chase that dream or chase that, in the end, there will be some disappointment. If you look to find your life in all these things, Paul is saying, in the end, you'll find something which is disappointing because God has already subjected to frustration. Why? Because the disappointment is meant to be a, prov- like a provocation to look for hope in the only person who can really deliver what you're looking for. It's meant to be a prompt, a, prov- a provocation, a poke to look for him. And if you're here today and you feel like, you're not just disappointed in one or two circumstances, but you feel like you carry like a deep soul disappointment, that is, that is a provocation to you to look for hope in the only person who can ever give you what your soul really requires. Jesus makes these amazing claims in the Bible. He says, If you will place your life in his hands, if you'll put your hope in him alone, ultimately, finally, one day, you will not be disappointed. And that he will be all he says he is, and he will do everything he promises to do. John 6, verse 35 says this. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, note a couple of things. He's writing, or Jesus is speaking to people, if you like, who do not have what they want. They hunger and they thirst. In other words, what they, where they are and where they'd like to be, there's a gap. These people are living, if you like, in the gap between where they are and where they want to be. They don't have everything that their soul requires. And Jesus says, if you hunger or if you thirst, those words are like pictures. If you are not where you want to be, if there's some kind of disappointment in your heart, Jesus says, come to me. You will never hunger and you will never thirst. In other words, we all live in the gap, in other words. The gap between where we are and where we hope to be. The gap between needing and not yet having. The gap between the prayer and the answer. And sometimes the gap is a very uncomfortable place to live. The gap is where we experience anxiety, where we sometimes experience fear. The gap is where we sometimes wake in the night and we can't sleep. You know the gap where you search for work but you haven't found it yet or you're waiting for the test results in the hospital and you haven't got them back yet? The gap where you have the treatment but you don't know if it's the cure? And Jesus says, in the gap, I'm the bread of life. Jesus says, right in the gap, 
If you're hungry, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. And it's in the gap where Jesus says to us, I don't want you to despair. In the gap between where you are and where you hope to be, I want you to hope. It's not a hope that everything is going to work out all as we want it to be. It's not a hope that there will never be any trial, no difficulty, no challenge, no scenario which is fundamentally disappointing and painful. It's not a hope in that. It's a hope that Jesus is alive, that you are not alone, and that he will be all he says he will be and do everything he says he will do. And somehow, somehow, he will work one day everything together for your good. That's the hope. Jesus says, in the gap, I don't want you to despair, I want you to hope. The church needs to be a place, and the people of God need to be a people who know what it is to carry hope. And that's the kind of hope you read about in the Gospels. It's the kind of hope you read about in Romans. In Romans 4, there's this, Paul talks about Abraham. Abraham was an old man who was married to an old lady. And not only was Sarah, his wife, old, but she was barren. She was unable to have children. And Abraham is given a promise that Abraham, through you, there are going to be many children and you can become the father of every nation. Now, Abraham is in covenant relationship to a woman who's barren, who's way over the age of anyone who can conceive a child. This is, in other words, his circumstance is completely hopeless, completely bleak. And this is what Paul says about Abraham. He says this, against all hope, in other words, where there was no hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. In other words, it's not, it's not triumphalism. It's not like I switch my brain off and think, oh, no, 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 this is fine. It's not pretending that things are good when they're not. He says this, but being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. What has God promised? God has promised in Romans 8 that somehow all things work together for the good of those who love him. That's not triumphalism. It's not, it's not a fairy tale. It's not pretending when things are painful, saying as if they're not. It's saying, God, I don't understand. I, I don't get this. This is horrible. I don't want to be in this scenario. But in the end, I hope in you, Jesus, that you are all that you say you are. I don't know if you saw the story recently of a guy who had kind of groundbreaking uh, brain surgery. They did it in London, and they used lasers. And I think they were basically using lasers during the surgery. He had a tumor, basically locating if there was like abnormal tissue, if there was cancerous tissue in his brain. And they used lasers during the operation. This guy was 22, his name was um, Reuben Hill. And one of the things he liked to do in his spare time, he liked to sing in a choir at Imperial College. So he was very concerned during this operation that that would be affected, his ability to sing and to speak was going to be affected. So, as you do during brain surgery, halfway through the operation, they wake him up. Okay? They wake him up and they ask him to talk. This is about four weeks ago, this was reported. And then they asked him to sing. 
so the, so the surgeons could be sure that nothing was affected. And this is what they said. With the lights dimmed, Mr. Hill sang these poignant words from the hymn 10,000 Reasons. And he sang, Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, I'll still be singing when the evening comes. The person writing the piece who was there, the operation said this, I have witnessed scores of operations over the years, but none like this one. You see, right in the middle of the gap where you can't control the outcome, right? Right in the middle of the gap between where you are and where you hope things are going to be, or where your kids are, where you're praying they're going to be. Right in the middle of the gap, when you wake up in the night and you feel the desperation and the fear, Jesus is saying, I want you to feel hope. I want you not to hope in this, but hope in me. There's a passage right at the start of John 1, which describes who Jesus is coming into the world. And it says in John 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never overpowered it, cannot overpower. In other words, the light outshines the darkness. Joe, why don't you just come up with me for a minute? So maybe today, you just think, I need to carry hope. Maybe you're where you are right now, you feel more despair than hope. I, I know what it is. I'm a weird mix, okay, of optimism and sometimes anxiety. Some things I'm completely optimistic about. And other things I can be prone to feeling like that's just not going to work out. Maybe you're in a world, maybe you're like red in the film where you just think, it's easier for me just not to hope because hope is dangerous. If I hope, I'm just going to be disappointed. I'm not asking you today to hope that everything's going to work out. I'm saying to you, Jesus wants hope to reside in your heart as you put your hope in him. Where you say to him, I don't understand everything. I know I'm not in control of everything. I know not everything works out in this world because we live in a fallen world. But Jesus, I believe that you understand everything and that you're able to do everything and you're able to be everything you say you're going to be. So in a minute, as we worship, maybe what you need is just you feel like, God, I need to kind of receive that in my heart. I need to get that inside me. I want to put my hope in you, and I need to receive a sense of hope. If that's you, in a minute, during this song, we've got some tables on the sides, and you can come forward and you can just light a candle, okay? It's just like a symbolic thing where you say to Jesus, I put my hope in you, and I want to receive a sense of hope today. And you can come forward and just do that, and sing or you can come down in the middle if you want someone to pray with you because there's a prayer team they'll pray with you if you'd like that and you can come and do that I want to encourage you to do that if like as a symbolic thing of saying to God I need to know that but maybe today you think oh, I don't that's not where I am today and that's fine but if, if that's not where you are we'd like you to move in a different direction just on the two side tables there's going to be candles or tea lights and we want to say to you you can grab one of those and we want you to take it home. Don't light it today. You just grab one, stick it in your bag or in your pocket, and take it home. And then during the week, I want you to light it somewhere. Don't set fire to your house, but light it somewhere, okay? And, and it's, I want you to pray, and I want you to take it seriously, and I want you to go, God, I want you to help me.
be a hope carrier. I want to bring light wherever I am. And I pray for the church. Pray for, we're going to do an outreach week at the end of the month. Pray for the outreach. We take it seriously. Say, God, would you help us to be a light? Would we make a difference? Would we say, bring light into darkness? Would we bring hope where there's despair? Pray for the Alpha Course. Pray for someone that you think, oh, God, maybe I could invite them. And like, light it and take it seriously and go, God, would you own what I pray now? And even give me the things you want me to pray for. And so even during the worship time, I want to encourage you to go and get a candle and stick it in your pocket and then worship and take it home and ask God to help you shine and that the church will be a light to many people.